0: in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith, brought to you by Lions Den Audio Theatre. Like and subscribe to Lions Den Audio Theatre for more Lions Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt.
1: Episode 19 of Saturday Night Live with host Madeline Kahn originally aired on May 8, 1976.
2: And tonight, it's as usual, Matt and I are here. How are you doing tonight, Matt? I'm pretty good. It's a cold, rainy Saturday night tonight, but holding up, (laughs) ready for the wrath of Khan. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) And joining us is
1: is actually the only voice you heard before mine, Uh, our dear friend and collaborator, Christine, who also provides us with our uh, intro.
0: Hello, friends.
1: Hi, Christine. You're like Don Pardo. (laughs) Christine is our Don Pardo. That's right. (laughs) So, uh, Christine, it's uh, Saturday Night Live. It's 1976. Do you have uh, any Saturday Night Live memories of that period or later? Certainly, you, were, you weren't you were born yet, but looking <laughs> <Yeah>. back.
0: <laughs> no, no fresh memories from 1976. No. Um, but, uh, no, you know, I didn't really get into SNL. Actually, I would say I never really got into SNL, but once clips were, like, readily available at YouTube, I think that's more when it was on my radar. Um so that was way later than most people. And that was probably like, you know, the early 2000s when the like pop icons were appearing on SNL and things like that. And I was like, oh, what's uh, what are they doing? Uh, I started to kind of follow Tina Fey and later Kristen Wig, But early SNL is like brand new to me in a way. <laughs>
1: New ground. This is, this is great, though. We, you know, it, It's a good mix. I mean, people know by now that Matt and I have memories galore. From, <laughs> not from the period, but from later periods. So, uh, yeah, this is a nice perspective I'm very much looking forward to.
0: <laughs> well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to our conversation here. Sweet. And our, uh, our host tonight
1: is, is, Mad- is Madeline Kahn. And our musical guest is Carly Simon. Are you familiar with either of those?
0: Um, yeah, but not, I'm not like intimately acquainted with their work. I know, you know, you're so vain, of course, but that would be also, (laughs) I know Carly Simon uh, that well, and that's also about as well as I know Madeline Kahn. Yeah.
2: My understanding is that Madeline was abandoned on SETI Alpha 6 some time ago (laughs) because of a genetic mutation. She was a superhuman. She threatened the ship. But anyway, I promise I don't have more of Star Trek jokes. That's fine.
1: Keep them coming. So uh, Matt, Madeline Kahn, Carly Simon, what is your familiarity with both?
2: I know Madeline Kahn is an actress. I know that uh, whatever she's in, I am absolutely not the target market for. But uh, I know she is some sort of Hollywood actress. But I don't know anything really about her body of work. Uh, Carly Simon, I'm much more familiar with. Well, I, I don't know how much to expand presently, but uh, I, I, think, I think I, I mean, I couldn't name 10 songs, but I bet I could name less than 10 songs, but, you know, <laughs> but also more than two. Okay. All right. So you, you I mean, you've got Christine and be there, I beat there. Actually more than three now that I heard that uh, first little jingle, half a chance.
1: I like Carly Simon. I do often get her mixed up with Carol King. I think it might be the James Taylor connection or something. But uh, I'm more familiar with Madeline Kahn of the two. Let's talk about Madeline Kahn. So Madeline Kahn was born in Boston in 1942. She moved to New York at a young age. She was a trained singer and uh, an actor who found some early success in theater. By 1972, she made a mark in film, appearing in What's Up Doc and Paper Moon, and she got an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress in uh, Paper Moon. Shortly after this, she found a collaboration with Mel Brooks and Mel Brooks' comedy movies. Most memorable from this point in time would be uh, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. Kahn was an extremely talented performer who excelled in comedies. Her latest film in 1976 was Gene Wilder's The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes's Smarter Brother, Um, And that was made with a few of the uh, Mel Brooks usual cast members. Her next film after this that was uh, due to be released shortly after this appearance was *Wonton Ton*, The Dog Who Saved Hollywood. Madeline holds the distinction, perhaps, of being the first second generation performer to appear on the show as her mother, Paula played Gilda Radner's mother in uh, the Elliot Gould episode 9. Now that's contingent on if that toddler was uh, Oz Perkins or not in the Anthony Perkins episode. So uh, hopefully that gives you some information about Madeline. Yeah, that's great. We go to our cold opening, and it's Chevy Chase playing an organ in front of a band. Um, A member of that band is Garrett Morris, who has the saxophone. So Chevy Chase is actually playing Ronald Reagan, and he's the first of seven people to play Reagan on Saturday Night Live. Even though the caption clearly says it's not Ronald Reagan, he wants to show everyone that a conservative can be hip, and he uh, likes to associate with uh, African Americans. After calling Garrett a boy several times, Garrett gets mad and punches Chevy off his stool, where Chevy gives the live from New York at Saturday Night. There's uh, certainly some some terms and stuff in this. Piece that might not show up these days. However, I think they did a very good job in this sketch of showing how Reagan, despite trying to be cool and hip, was actually just a, a racist uh, conservative at the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, for me, it was a it was a moment to calibrate what era uh, I was watching, <laughs> for sure. But I I don't know. I agree with you, Keith, that uh, while there were moments where I was like, "Oof," you could not say that now. Um, that the the point of the sketch seemed to it came across to me anyway.
2: Always nice to be reminded that Ronald Reagan is a piece of shit. <laughs> <Talk> <laughs> <with> Ronald Reagan. <laughs> I hate when Chevy does his non impressions though. Like uh, it's, it's, this is, I'm going to address this point in further detail later in the episode, but I mean, he's not even trying. He's just, you know, like do something, mm-hmm. watch a tape, try a voice, but, uh, You know, it could be Ford, except he's got a bigger grin. Yeah, Uh, it doesn't. So, yeah, I just don't like Chevy doing these. But otherwise, I I, I agree with everything. So the monologue, Madeline Kahn comes out and mentions that in one half hour,
1: it's going to be Mother's Day. She sings, and the song is a 1915 song by Theodore Morris and Howard Johnson, and uh, actually spells the word mother. Kahn seemed nervous, but I didn't know if she was playing nervous or if she was actually nervous. But uh, I thought she did a good. Uh, I thought she did a good job here.
2: Me too. Good first impression for me. I uh, thought that uh, the song was cute. It was short and to the point. I hate when they beat a monologue to death. Uh, good first impression. Seems like they know what they're doing so far.
0: Hundred percent. I love the short, sweet monologue. I thought it was super cute, Mother, and uh, yeah, really, really good first impression. I was like, okay, I'm looking forward to this episode now. I wasn't so sure <laughs> <laughs> with the opening, but I was, I was sold after the monologue.
2: The last host that I was completely unfamiliar with was Jill Clayberg and that didn't turn out so well. I approached with pessimism, that is
1: all. <laughs> we next go to John Belushi as the wilderness comedian. He's a Las Vegas-style stand-up comedian in a tuxedo shirt and a buckskin jacket who has turned his back on society and left for the mountains to uh, do stand-up for little furry animals that are sitting on logs. These animals were puppets on very cheap wires. The sketch is narrated by Aykroyd. The puppets really love their wilderness comedian. I uh, I laughed through this whole friggin' thing. Uh, this was uh, another good turn by Belushi. I thought
0: I thought it was fine. <laughs> I uh, um I'm I really like wordplay and puns, and so the first couple of jokes got my attention, but I got bored of it kind of quick. I I wanted it to be just like a little tighter.
2: I thought there was something missing. Like I, I liked, I thought it was funny. I laughed when the animals started jigging around and the concept I thought was great. But to Christine's point, it just kind of kept going. Maybe it would be funnier if it, if he was like a blue comedian. And he was telling dirty animal jokes. Like Something like that would have worked better for me. <laughs> and uh, I liked the
1: bear heckler myself. But uh, but yeah, no, uh, I really I enjoyed this. But it, at the end of the day, it wasn't like a contender for my favorite of the night, if I can put it that way. Yeah. Uh, we then go to Not For Ladies Only. And this is the first real appearance of Gilda Radner's impression of Barbara Walters, AKA Baba Wawa. And she's interviewing Marlena Deutschland, which is Madeleine Kahn's impression of Marlena Dietrich. And uh, it's a uh, kind of a nod to her performance in Blazing Saddles as Lily von Stupp. Now, both of these characters have issues with pronouncing the letter R and L, and they, they use their W's a lot, as to some extent Walters and Dietrich did in real life as well. I don't like the notion of making fun of people's speech impediments. however. Putting that aside, I thought these two women were so good in their delivery on this. And I just keep thinking that it's a shame that... Radner and Khan never worked together on a bigger project as as sisters or best friends or something like that uh this one i i give it a, a thumbs up a big thumbs up on this one
0: yeah i i wrote down as i was watching it i was making some notes and i wrote down chemistry in big huge letters because i i really enjoyed the way they played off of each other and i agree with you i was like not really excited about you know making the making making a gag out of like people's speech impediments or the way we speak. But I do love a joke about miscommunication. And so I really appreciated that. And also like that, that first appearance of a character that continues to be referenced that I heard about before I really even understood what SNL was, the sort of Baba Wawa. At the end of the day, I think I liked the sketch. I just I'm not in love with the premise.
2: I thought it was okay. I, I don't think I liked it as much as you guys did. I definitely didn't like it as much as Keith did. Christine, you were a little harder to read on that. Anyway, they they, were, they worked well together and it was fun to watch. But I mean, that, that was all. It's it just them doing, you know, I get that, you know, they did have great chemistry and I, you know, they'll, we'll see them together later and we'll be like, they, they do seem like. Like, they'd be tight. Anyway, I digress. It just didn't, didn't really do a lot for me. And Sherry O'Terry is just a better Barbara Walters than Gilda Radner. I'll fight about it. <laughs> yeah, Barbara Walters really
1: didn't like that impression. Of course, years later, she says, well, it was, you know, it was great. It was all good fun. But at the time, she was pretty, uh, pretty pissed about that. Our next sketch is uh, Slumber Party, and it was written by Marilyn Suzanne Miller. And it features Madeline Kahn, Gilda Radner, Jane Curtin, and Lorraine Newman playing little girls at a slumber party, talking about how babies are conceived. Marilyn Suzanne Miller, the uh, writer, cameos sort of as the voice of Gilda's mother. I've never done a real slumber party. I've never been to a girl's slumber party. But this is sort of what I suspect (laughs) would have been an accurate portrayal. I love the innocence of Gilda, the neurosis of Curtin, the obnoxious overreacting of Newman. And the semi-informed expertise of Khan. I thought these were four tremendously distinct characters. The line, adopted children are such a pain. You have to teach them to look like you. Got an audible laugh out of me. This was really good. I really, really enjoyed this thought. All the cylinders were firing on this one.
0: Yeah, again, I thought it was fine. <laughs> I liked it. I liked the start of it. It's like similar to the um, to the wilderness comedian for me, where it was just like, a little bit longer. It was like a, a joke or two longer than, than I wanted. I just wanted them to get to the punchline and wrap it up. So yeah, it was fine. I didn't. I wasn't crazy about it. I wanted a little bit more from those four women on screen together.
2: I do agree that it took forever to get where they were going, but I did enjoy when they got there. I agreed with you, Keith. That uh, I really liked the characters. They were all very distinct and it was almost like a horror movie-ish with their little slumber party. And speaking of which, Lorraine Newman was totally doing her exorcist thing when she was going off with the hurling, projecting Linda Blair. Did it work for you better this time than... When we saw it before in the Richard Pryor episode. Yes, absolutely. And I forgot to mention, I I really liked all their voices too. They all had really good kid voices. I thought this was almost like a a short play.
0: On the sketch being like a short play?
1: Yeah, I I know they usually are and basically it's brand new. But this one seemed like something you could do at a festival.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I I still feel like it could have been tighter, but it did have a nice, you know, beginning, middle, Mm -hmm. end to it. And some really good lines. The the
2: urban legends were great. I liked when she said you had to hold your breath.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Yeah, this was,
1: this was fun. And and it was really the one that jumped out for me.
2: I mean, was seeing Jane Curtin in a very un-Jane Curtin role here. That's true. She's not, she was always so drab. I shouldn't say drab. It's not her fault, but you know, just the straight lady. Our next
1: sketch features Garrett Morris as Mark Mabutu from the newly liberated country of Namibia. And he pleads with the United States to send them to send them their unused fondue sets. People get them for anniversaries, birthdays and housewarmings. They put them on the shelf and forget about them. Now they already have the cans for underneath the fondue set, but they need the pots and the long forks. This killed me. I I thought this was the funniest thing I've seen in a very long time.
0: Sorry. I'm just laughing, remembering it. Yeah. I had a pretty good cackle over this one, but I also felt like I was wondering what I was missing in the like news cycle of the day that was informing that sketch potentially. I
2: thought it was pretty funny. I guess I don't really have anything to add. It caught me off guard. And uh, I, I mean, I laughed out loud. What more can you ask? It didn't overstay. It's welcome. And it's always just Garrett Morris doesn't get enough screen time.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: We now go to a Chiron, a caption over uh, a woman in the audience, and it says she's wearing underwear marked Thursday. Didn't really get a laugh from me, but these seldom do anyway. So next up, we go to Chevy with the Muppets. And uh, yeah, they're back. They went in the crate. Uh, uh, Matt and Chili were hoping that was the last we saw of them, but no, they're back. So Scred is in, the ch- in a crate, and he asks Chevy to ask Lauren to let them back on the show. Chevy said uh, everything's really gone to Lauren's head. Scred says he knows someone who knows the Beatles and uh, offers to take Chevy there, and it's the mighty Favog who sings She Loves You. If Lorne Michaels will let the Muppets back on the show, Favog will get the Beatles for Lorne. This whole sketch was, was, this was a kind of a waste of time for me. The only thing I laughed at was when Chevy said Lorne is having dinner with Pete Best to try to get the Beatles. Pete Best, of course, the drummer that they kicked out to hire Ringo. So he had about as much clout as, as I did. Christine, uh, the Muppets have been sort of the bane of Matt and I's existence. From day- <laughs> Did they do anything for you?
0: No. <laughs> I was like, I thought it was fine, but it seemed like a throwaway. Um, and so that's, that's interesting to me that you say that it's kind of been the bane of your <laughs> existence too. Yeah, I didn't think it really added anything. I, I, I thought it was like a funny idea that you would bring back the Beatles in order to, uh, if, you, if you would let the Muppets come back on the show. But, but I, uh, I don't know if it was funny enough to be a whole sketch.
2: I mean, they used to be longer and worse. So... <laughs> the fact that they're like this is it's you know, in that weird, bad way, a breath of fresh air, breath of bad fresh air, I guess <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's stupid. I actually thought Chevy said Peter best he he did yeah, time. you're you're right, Matt, he did yeah, but yeah, no, this is stupid. I hate the Muppets. I, they must be stuck on a contract. It's all I can figure.
1: I was actually surprised that Chevy lowered himself to appear with the Muppets. probably got a little spiff in the pay stub if you know what I mean, <laughs> or maybe, maybe he said. I know who can save the Muppets. I can save the Muppets. So we now go to, uh, it looks like Castle Frankenstein, and it kind of is. It's Victor Frankenstein and his assistant Fritz. They are demanding that that they send up the kites, and a bunch of other monsters say send up the kites. And what this is is a musical performance of I Feel Pretty with Madeline Kahn as the Bride of Frankenstein. And this is an homage to her appearance in Young Frankenstein. I didn't recognize Victor Frankenstein or Fritz at first, but it's uh, Howard Shore and Paul Schaefer. This is done like a true performance piece and, and probably the type of thing they should be doing when the actor or when the host is an actor who decides to sing. thought the production value was great on this one. It was the band wearing the monster masks. And at the end of the song, Neil Levy, Michael Donahue and uh, Aykroyd and Belushi, Gilda Radner and Lorraine Newman come out as villagers with torches. To do the background i really enjoyed this segment i i really liked this not just because it was a uh, an homage to one of my favorite movies but yeah i thought this was great
0: yeah i love an actor with theater chops on television and while i was i was feeling a bit like oh everything's <laughs> it seems like everything's too long for me on this show um this was a long sketch and maybe it didn't need to be but i enjoyed the whole thing i like a familiar song i like a goofy premise and yeah, I was like happy to hear Madeline Khan saying, I was into it.
2: I'm noticing this episode is, uh, they're really, uh, the, uh, the vibe I'm getting is much more variety show than what I usually get, which is fine. It's, you know, a little too much for me personally. Uh, but I totally understand why other people like it. And I respect that the show tries to do different things. That's what's important, even though it's not to my personal tastes.
1: So we come to weekend update. Chevy's calling a bunch of people and talking to them. Uh, Matt, based on all the calls we've heard so far, are we to assume Chevy is trying to get someone to cancel an orgy?
2: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) Texas is joining Panama, and they're going to name Ronald Reagan as the acting king. He likes king, but he isn't sure about acting. Uh Ford has been losing in the primaries, and he's got a new strategy he's going to campaign to win. There's an earthquake in Italy, and Chevy calls a friend in Italy, and they chat, and really the only thing about the quake that comes up is Chevy says, some quake, huh? Uh, There's a really bad joke about gay people wearing dresses, and they should not have done that. They know better than that. This is uh, supposed to be enlightened New York City. Uh, Chevy reads a story about marijuana causing memory loss, and then he reads the story again, and we get another plea from... Chevy Chase to send weed in for him to test. And then we go to our commercial. Is there anything in this first half that jumped
2: out at you as being ridiculously good or ridiculously bad? I thought it was pretty much just shit joke wall to wall. I didn't laugh once.
0: Yeah, I'm probably on the same page. I I think I got really distracted actually at the um, uh, the game and then military wearing a dress uh, joke because, I don't know, it's just so inappropriate. I did feel like even for 1976, they could have done better. So, yeah, I didn't appreciate that at all. And that's all I could really think about for that first half of Weekend Update. I will say, I, like Weekend Update is kind of my favorite style of humor on TV generally. And so I love it. And that's probably what sucked me into SNL eventually. But, yeah, not really, not really thrilled with that first half.
1: So then we go to a parody of the Bounty Paper Towel commercials that were done uh, featuring Rosie... It was originally played by Nancy Walker and uh, not too long ago they tried to revive them with Andrea Martin as, as Rosie. Madeline Kahn enters with wet pantyhose. Jane Curtin playing Rosie. Paper towel test with Madeline Kahn's uh, pantyhose and then gives her some super absorbent and dry hose. Madeline Kahn is really impressed and when something spills on the counter she sits up and sits on it. I know these bounty commercials. Jane Curtin did a good job. Madeline Kahn did a good job but This really wasn't funny, and I actually found this to be awfully dragged out.
0: See, so I laughed, actually, watching it mostly because I was thinking, was this really a problem? Were wet pantyhose a problem? Like, (laughs) that's nothing I've ever experienced as a person who occasionally wears pantyhose. And then it kind of lost my attention for a few seconds there, and then I chuckled when she hopped up on the counter at the end. So, I mean, I I didn't think it was the most hilarious thing of the night, but... I I laughed more than more so than I certainly did in the first half of the weekend update.
2: Jane Curtin really carried it for me. I'm a sucker for her anyway, but uh, her sneers and uh, just her, (laughs) the faces she was pulling as this lady uh, made the sketch for me, certainly more than any of the jokes. So uh, we get back to weekend update. Chevy starts to
1: deliver his next Francisco Franco joke, but uh, he breaks up and then the audience breaks up. So this was a, Another instance of Chevy losing his uh, composure. Franco has now held his breath since November 1975. Then there's a joke about uh, Muhammad Ali beating Jimmy Young. The audience thought Young won, and Ali says his next fight will be against a seven-year-old blind girl. And this is, again, another joke about Ali fighting punching bags or jobbers. Emily Latella, come back to talk about violins on television. This is much the same, but uh, again, uh, this is one of the more famous ones. But again, for myself... Um, having gone through these, we see a lot of Emily spread them out. And Chevy reads the final story uh, for those of us who might be cows. And he hides behind a inset of a cow and makes mooing noises. There wasn't much on this half either that really did it for me. Yeah, this was not great. It was not a great weekend update.
0: I did want to go look up the context for the generalissimo Franco thing. And once I read the history of it, I thought actually that it was pretty funny without having that sort of contemporary context for this running gag in the news. I didn't really get it. And I liked Emily Latella, but I guess if what you're saying is like, this is a, this is a character that repeats maybe too often, then this is not somebody I need to see all the time. But I thought it was a funny appearance.
2: She's on every week, every week doing the yeah. same shtick.
0: That'd be boring. It's
2: painful. <laughs> and yeah, I thought this was, this is the worst weekend update of the season. Uh, so it sucks, Christine, that this is your favorite style of television because they have never done it worse.
0: What a drag!
2: This is probably,
1: in many ways, the most famous Emily Lutella and definitely watching it away from watching every other episode. It's 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 good. Um, and my my complaint has never been about Emily herself or Gilda's performance, but uh, it's repeated far too much that even when it is funny, I can't see it anymore.
2: Surely Saturday Night Live will learn this valuable lesson about not beating a property to death, right? (laughs) I hope so. Oh, it's been 48 years, and I don't know.
1: We then go to Madeline Kahn, who introduces a pre-recorded performance from Carly Simon. And I'm just going to talk about Carly Simon for a second. She was uh, born in New York. She's a singer, musician, songwriter, and author. She's the daughter of the co-founder of Simon & Schuster's, the publishing company, and her mom was a civil rights activist. She released her first solo album, Carly Simon, in 1971. It peaked at 30 on Billboard and got her a couple of Grammy nominations. It was 1972's You're So Vain, the single, that propelled her to stardom. It hit one and it stayed at one for quite a while. A lot of controversy about the subject of the song, like the Alanis Morissette song many years later. She has confirmed that Warren Beatty is one of the people, but there are at least two other people referred to in there. People have suspected James Taylor, uh, Mick Jagger, and many others. Shout out to Carly Simon. She mentions Nova Scotia in there. Carly continued churning out hits through the 70s, and at this point in time, her last album was called Playing Possum, and Another Passenger, her next album, was due to come out in June of 76. Simon suffered from crippling stage fright and she made very few appearances on TV. Um, Her last recorded performance I could find before this on television was from 1973. So this is done a little differently. It's pre-recorded. It's two songs back-to-back. Her first one is, um, what's the first one called, Matt? I forget the name.
0: Half a Chance.
2: Uh, Half a Chance. Half a Chance. How could you forget? She told you 47 times.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So she sings Half a Chance. And uh, she does that, and then she does uh, "You're So Vain."
0: I didn't really care for "Half a Chance." I didn't. I didn't really like it. I think it was the song she was releasing at the time. It was a new record. It makes sense that she would she would perform it for the show. I was happy with "You're So Vain" because I'm a sucker for something familiar, and that's about all. Yeah, good good performance overall. It was interesting that it was pre recorded. The first um, ever pre recorded for SNL is it the only pre recorded for SNL? Sorta. Sorta. Okay. Yeah. So I thought the performance was fine
2: carly simon in my opinion (laughs) is somebody who has one song per album and it's the first track on the album and it's put on the radio and you never hear tracks two through ten and they're generally not very good she's like a you buy her greatest hits you know you don't delve into the back catalog which i guess is fine holy shit that first song was annoying It's just not a good song. I would call, you know, you could argue that Carly Simon's a one-hit wonder, but Anticipation exists. While I know Mockingbird exists, I think it is one of the worst songs I have ever heard. When she sings that with James Taylor, it is like two Paul Simons duetting with each other. I I really (laughs) hate it.
1: Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) I have serious issues with this being pre-recorded. Oh, Um, say more. Big time. Um, I understand stage fright is a a legitimate thing. I I have it myself. And none of this is really on Carly Simon herself. They offered her a spot. She said, sure, but here's my condition. And the producers of Saturday Night Live said, okay. So this is kind of on them. So in episode five, uh, Robert Klein, ABBA, through no fault of their own, had to lip sync a song because their backing tracks didn't arrive. The producers decided to humiliate them by putting that on a Chiron on the screen. Now, ABBA was mainstream and uncool, but Carly Simon was pretty cool with the New York elite. So they can make fun of ABBA, but not Carly Simon. She gets a pass, and this bothers me. Now, the music was, uh, the first song, whatever. You're so vain, great performance. Ch- uh, featuring Chevy Chase on Cowbell as well. Yeah, This really bothers me. Years later, like Ashley Simpson will get busted um, because she's lip-syncing. Um, at least she's standing there live in front of a crowd. I can't trash it completely because there are elements of the show I really like that aren't live, but a big cache of the show for me and for 90% of the viewers is seeing a live performance of a show, and this early, they crapped out on it. Would Would I have done it for the Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Probably, but to sacrifice your format for Carly Simon just didn't make sense to me. And I have a problem.
2: Carly Simon. Imagine doing it for Carly Simon. I agree completely. They shouldn't have let her do it. Like if Pavarotti said, okay, I got to, I got to be, I got to be pre-taped.
1: Well, you go for it. But if Aqua says I got to be pre-taped, do you go for it? (laughs) Well, are they (laughs) doing Barbie Girl or not? Now, by no means am I, like, I I really think Carly Simon is very talented. I think her lyrics, especially for songs like uh, You're So Vain, are are extremely well done. Tremendous talent, still tremendously talented these years later. That's That's a bad precedent to have set. And fortunately, they don't really go down that road too much over the years.
0: So were you saying that you would have made the exception for some but not others but it seems like you're not really arguing her talent. Is it that you think it's justifiable because they have a bigger draw potentially with an audience that it's like justified for a producer to make that decision?
1: Well, I, I mean, I, I want to sit here and say to you that if I was, you know, Lauren Michaels or Dick Ebersol or whoever pulling the strings, I would say, no, you have to be live or you can't do our show. That's what I want to say. But I know realistically, if I'm in a position where I I run on ratings, some exceptions would have to be made. And and I'm sure they made this as much because Carly Simon didn't appear on TV very often. But in 1975, a few years after her biggest hit, is she one you would make that exception for? One of the big arguments about Saturday Night Live today is that there's so much pre-recorded stuff that can they even use that name anymore. But uh, yeah, I just I I, it really bothered me that this was not done live.
0: Yeah, certainly there's something to be said for like a live performance when especially if a show's a little flat and accepting the fact that, okay, it was live, (laughs) you know, but in this case. I guess I agree with you when I, when it comes right down to it. I don't think the performances were so great that they needed to be on the show, that they needed to be pre-recorded for the show. It would have been fun to see somebody perform live in front of the audience. Yeah, that's what they had Madeline Kahn for, I guess. <laughs> they had some live music. There you go. Yeah. Our next
1: sketch is called Nixon's Final Days. And this one has a complicated writing history. It was written by uh, Al Franken and Tom Davis wrote this on LSD. And then Anne Beats added the diary entry, entry section. And Lauren Michaels insisted on Sammy Davis being in there. So this is a satirical dramatization of the Woodward and Bernstein book Final Days. We have Madeline Kahn playing Pat Nixon. And this is the second first lady to be shown on the show. And she's writing in her diary. And it flashes back to... Dan Aykroyd returning as his super awesome Richard Nixon this time with no ape mask. Chevy plays David Eisenhower and he's the second person to do so as Aykroyd voiced it in a previous previous episode. And Guild was playing Julie Nixon, jumps from different points in time in in Nixon's last few days in office. We have Belushi in as uh, Henry Kissinger, instantly recognizable. Audience loved it, and then we go to a bit where uh, Sammy Davis Jr. comes in. It's a good Sammy, but it's definitely not the best we'll see on Saturday Night Live. Sammy sings I've Gotta Be Me, and that song had uh, previously appeared on another episode. He spends the skit arguing and yelling at paintings of previous presidents. He's using some racially charged language towards Kissinger. Um, Pat Nixon also uses some pretty bad language in there uh, to refer to Asian people. Aykroyd was fantastic. This, to me, is great political satire. It's topical, um, and while some of the language is hard to hear, this is a pretty accurate account of what Woodward and Bernstein were saying was Nixon's complete breakdown in his final days. Leaning on advisors for advice and then criticizing, ignoring their suggestions, talking to the paintings, completely breaking down. All the impressions were great. I find this is far less fiction and more distorted truth. And considering the high profile stuff we get from uh, H- Franken and Davis, the Pong sketches and, and a silly sketch at the end, this was a huge step up. And while this was a, kind of a parody of Nixon, it's uh, also sort of parodying the, uh, the source material as well. I really, really liked this and thought that this was one of the best things we've seen on the show to date. However, I will caveat that by saying I read a lot about Nixon.
2: I didn't like the diary parts at all. Uh, I could have done completely, completely without them frame it another way. I don't care. They, they just weren't, I didn't, they didn't think they were funny and they were just draggy, but everything in the office I thought was fantastic. But everybody was so good. I thought it was weird and funny. And yeah, I just thought everybody did such a good job. Everybody put effort into their characters, especially when they're playing the president Chevy chase. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> yeah. I don't really have anything new to add to that. I, I, You know, the like use of slurs in the sketch really pulled me out of it. Um, But overall, I thought everybody's performances were really good. It was chaotic for me. Um, So, you know, it did feel like a bit of a trip, but I um, but I but I laughed. I mean, I thought it was funny. I don't know that I have a need to go back and watch it again. And I'm I'm not the, the history buff that you are, Keith, that's for sure. But yeah, I thought it was good.
1: It captures two things, I find, and I don't know if it's because it was different writers, but uh, it captures, like, number one, the left hated Nixon. But number two, a lot of people were sort of down on Woodward and Bernstein for the book, which completely exploited a, a person whose life was falling apart. Um, whether you believe, you know, you agree with Nixon's politics or not, they do take a lot of cheap shots in there. Um, so it was, it's an interesting, uh, interesting sketch. Great political satire. Little bit of trivia. Dan Aykroyd loved wearing that Nixon suit and uh, tried to get that suit on, <laughs> on his, in his wardrobe <laughs> as much as he could.
0: <laughs> I love that.
1: And uh, Stacker, or Matt, our list of the top 50 sketches of all time puts this at number 29. I'd say that sounds pretty fair.
2: Yeah. I really I think so. it.
1: We now go to a Gary Weiss film. I used to say these are all as popular with us, but they've, they've definitely gone down, in, uh, their stock has dropped slightly the last few weeks. This one is uh, using Ray Charles' version of New York's My Home, intercut with clips of fans at a sporting event. I I assumed it's basketball. I didn't like it. I liked parts of it, and I liked the idea, but I I didn't like this. I have a feeling, uh, Matt, there's elements of it you do like, but I'd like to hear what you're thinking.
2: You know, I I didn't really like too much of it at all, so I'm curious to uh, hear what you thought I might have liked. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was... A one note. I like the visuals. I always like the visuals that he puts in front of us. Uh, Otherwise, this this didn't work for me at all. Stock plummeting. What did you think I would enjoy? Was there anything in particular? Yeah, the visuals. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) A lot of shots of gritty New York.
2: Yeah, okay. Uh, Well, you know I love that. Yeah, I mean, I could have watched it on mute.
0: Yes, I had the same thought, actually. I like these pictures, but it was really jarring. And just like, I feel like, I mean, I know I've said this three or four times already, but it was just too long.
1: Yeah, these Gary Weiss films started out, well, started out hideously. Um, It was the Christmas one. But then he really won us over and uh, starting to lose me now, Gary. So then we go to Chinatown, and it's John Belushi playing Jack uh, Nicholson's character, Jake, and Madeline Kahn plays Faye Dunaway's Mrs. Mulray. She comes in looking for her father, and Jake promises to follow him, and they suddenly jump into a version of Peggy March's I Will Follow Him. They jump in and out of the song. Um, I think this was a way of using Belushi's interest and Khan's talents, but it was a pretty weak sketch. It ends with Khan singing It's My Party, Leslie Gore's song. And I will take the liberty here of uh, repeating... Chili's comment from our last episode where John Belushi is supposed to be a comedic icon, but he can't
2: do an impression of Jack Nicholson. What's going on here? Too much music, man. In this episode, for me, it's all they're always fucking singing. It's too much pushing way too far into variety hour. It's it's getting a little I was going to say high school talent show, but that's obviously the performers are above that. But the shit they're in isn't.
0: Yeah, this was quite the opposite of the I feel pretty sketch to me, where I did laugh. I mean, it took me a second to get the joke. I'm a little embarrassed to say that. But, you know, I was probably not paying as close attention as I should have been and didn't realize exactly what they were doing at first. Um, So I had a laugh and then I was done with it. The joke was over and the sketch continued. Where I liked I feel pretty and it was familiar and it was fun. This was like choppy and just unnecessary.
1: You know, it's a weird thing. I got myself caught in a loop here of thought, I suppose. So the character Belushi's playing is is Jake, the the role Nicholson played in Chinatown. But when he hangs up the phone with the person he's talking to at the beginning, he goes, all right, I'll talk to you later, Jake. So I, instead of just saying, maybe there's two guys named Jake in the world, <laughs> I was like, is he supposed to be Jake? Is he Jake's brother? Is he Jake? What's going on here? But he might have even just said the wrong name. I don't know, but... Uh, yeah, I spent far too much time wondering what they were trying to say there for a sketch that really wasn't that great. Our next bit is a just a stand-up in front of the uh, the blank set. It's Madeline Kahn and Gilda, and they're doing just short micro-impressions, I'll call them. Kahn does a baby eating ice cream for the first time, and then Gilda does a parakeet learning to speak. I frig, I love this. And uh, I really, again, I wish these two had done more together in their lives. And I really wish that, uh, I hope as we go through this, there's more of these sort of, random stand-ups of two people sitting there enjoying each other like like this Uh, I'm really liking this for this part of the show when they do it
0: yeah I loved this so much and I was so I was like oh these guys are gonna hate this bit I don't know I just (laughs) enjoyed it so much it was so much fun it was so silly like yeah for me it was just like nice and light especially at this point in the show when When I'm starting to feel like I'm not loving a lot of this. It's not that it was a terrible episode or anything like that, but a lot of it was just kind of like, eh, meh, like I got the joke quickly and now I'm ready to move on. And this, I was just like delighted start to finish.
2: I thought the baby eating ice cream was cute and they obviously like each other. But Gilda's thing, just how do you say everything went on too long and you not mention that going on for so fucking long?
0: I mean, it was a little long.
2: Um, it takes a parakeet a while to learn English. <laughs>
0: exactly. I mean, I mean yeah. isn't that the joke that it's long in that case? <laughs>
2: uh, anyway, I, I liked it was fine. I, but I, Gilda's bit just didn't work for me. Are you liking these though, Matt? These sort of semi yeah. out of character bits? Absolutely. I, I usually like them uh, more. But you know what? Uh, I didn't like the last one either. So they're uh, no. they're on sketchy ground for me lately. So our, our last
1: major segment is Madeline Kahn singing Lost in the Stars, the title song from the 1949 Gershwin, I think, musical. Madeline Kahn, extremely talented, but this was one song too many for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, a showcase for a obviously very talented person. And like I said before, I... I like it when we see some theater chops on, on television, but I didn't really care for it. Especially, again, like at this point in the show, it's just ready for it to wrap up and end on a high note. And this was a little bit too drawn out.
2: This literally, literally put me to sleep. <laughs> I fell asleep <laughs> listening to this song and watching it. And I had to get up and come to do this because I watch right before we do the episode because I like to come in really fresh. I sounded tired when we started. Direct Maybe it was
0: strategic. It. It's meant to be 1.30 in the morning. People are <laughs> drifting, drifting off.
1: And then we have our goodbyes. Madeline Kahn says she had lots of fun. She really enjoyed herself. She wishes people a happy Mother's Day and thanks Carly Simon. Again, Dan Aykroyd enters uh, with a bunch of papers under his arm. He's coming in late and uh, Garrett is also late. So again, I'm going to just track what those two guys are up to at the goodbyes, because they never seem to be in the right spot or non-off. So that's the end of the episode, and we'll go into a little epilogue here. Uh, Madeline Kahn will be back, um, so I'm not going to touch on her stuff. That is it for Carly Simon, though. Her career continues, hits, Grammys, uh, nominations. Stayed busy, uh, still has a great fan base. 70s was definitely her era, but she's never really gone away. She picked up an Oscar, a Grammy, and a Golden Globe for uh, Let the River Run. Um, she randomly did a live performance at Grand Central Station, and uh, one of her songs, Nobody Does It Better, is uh, one of the more popular Bond songs. So uh, She's she's done well for herself. Uh, let's rate the music, um, and I'll start by saying Carly Simon was not live, and, and I just can't get over that. Performances were good. Second song is, uh, You're So Vain is a nice song. Um, first one was meh, but she wasn't live, and I really wish she had been. Madeline Kahn's I feel pretty was exactly what hosts that want to sing should do they should have some fun with it lost in the stars extremely well performed but one song too many too late in the show
0: yeah i feel pretty was my favorite musical performance of the night and i agree with the both of you you know a, a bit too much music in this one i really liked the i feel pretty sketch the whole thing the familiarity of it i thought it was fun They so you could tone down the music a little bit
2: i didn't uh yeah i didn't care for most of the uh, the madeline Kahn musical numbers and Carly had one dud and then just rolled out the hit. There wasn't anything special there. Pretty middling music for me personally, as far as my taste goes. And also because I know Madeline Kahn's good. That's just not for me. Bad music episode for Matthew. So our uh, our
1: host rating the host as her performances, I thought she was stellar. She was fully integrated. She's multi-talented. She was active and in a lot of stuff. She uh, really brought out some great stuff from the other performers, and the writers seemed to know how to write from her. Everything that was weak about this show, except for the Chinatown, didn't really have much to do with Khan as far as the comedic side of things. Like I said, her last song was a bit too much. But she was someone who was known at this point to most of the world as just a comedic actor. And you know, she, she performed live when Carly Simon, who is a musical legend, Went taped. I know I'm going back to the music, but uh, I just can't wait to see her back. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I thought she was really strong. Um, I think about what it must be like for people for guest hosts on this show and the the possibility for intimidation <laughs> with a group that works with each other, you know, weekly and 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 joining the cast and trying to to really hold your own in sketches. You know, there I I think about the current season of of SNL and some of the hosts and the way they have to really be wrapped like in in other cast members in order to carry their scenes and I don't feel like Madeline Kahn needed that you know she was she was able to she was strong on her own in her own right and didn't need you know 10 people around her in order to carry off a, a sketch so I'd love to see her back Mm. and i know she does come back
2: <laughs> yeah yeah she did very well there's no denying uh how good she is at what she did good point keith that most of what was crummy uh she was not around and, it, and i don't know is that strike still going on because I, c- I kept seeing the boom mic and a lot in this episode
1: i think so it's it was a seven week strike um so oh, yeah, i think okay. we've got two or three more weeks of of that you can tell it's a little rough around the edges certainly better than the last one though Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and just a note, Madeline Kahn, she wasn't particularly comfortable there. And she found it a very unpleasant experience.
0: <laughs> really?
1: Couldn't tell any of that. That might be nope. the, uh, the, the best. I thought she was having the time of her life. But uh, she said she had to approach it very clinically and, uh, and just do it. Um, and, I mean, the place was chaos at the time. Let's backstage. Let's not, uh, let's not mince words on that. Um, who would
2: have a bad time hanging out with egomaniacal drug addicts? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, don't forget the uh yeah, I mean the people were dropping their trousers everywhere and yeah, no, it was uh, yeah, if you're an actor or a performer who who approaches things as a job, this might not have been the place for you. But uh, I thought she did stellar and to read that I was shocked. What was okay. your worst segment of the night?
2: Weekend update.
0: <sighs> yeah, and I'm so, so sad to so say bad. that.
1: I went with the Gary Weiss film. It was is I, I can't can't do it. He's <laughs> he's gotta pick up his game soon.
0: For me, some of it was was it has to be weekend update because I was just so disappointed in it.
1: Yeah. And I'll be honest, there's an element of that with uh with these latest Gary Weiss films for me. So what was your best sketch? This could be your best sketch, your best joke, your best segment. What was the best of the night for you?
2: Nixon sketch for me. Thought it was spectacularly performed. I thought it was clever. I thought it was well thought out. I thought the impressions were fantastic. Rare that they pull off a long sketch, and it wasn't perfect. Like I said, those diary bits were duds for me, but I think overall it was the best thing they did.
0: Yeah, I'm having trouble with this one because so much of it for me was like middling, you know? I think honestly my favorite bit... (laughs) was the monologue. And I just felt like, because it's set, like you said earlier, Matt, you know, it was a good first impression. I thought it was exactly as long as it needed to be. It was cute. It was a good introduction. And so I can't pick a sketch, but that was my favorite part.
1: For sure. Yeah. I actually slept on that. That was a good monologue. And I didn't even, didn't even think of that. For me, any other episode, any other episode, it would have been Garrett's fondue for Namibia. Um, no question about it. But uh, I also went with Nixon's final days, huge hit for me, and just uh, thought it was perfectly well done. Aykroyd is not remembered for his Nixon as much as he is his Carter, but his Nixon is great. So uh, let's
0: pick a star of the night. I mean, I, I would say I would say Madeline Kahn for me, but but really, what I'm thinking is that I wish that there was more Jane Curtin, and I wish that there was more Garrett because I just I just wanted more of them in the episode. Um, yeah, that's where I sit on that. I
2: thought it was Jane Curtin. No surprises. The bounty lady was hilarious. She was great in the kids' sleepover sketch. Yeah, and she leaves you wanting more. Well, this
1: is rare because all three of us went in different directions. I uh, I wanted to say Aykroyd for the Nixon, but uh, I went with Gilda. Baba Wawa, the innocent girl at the slumber party, the parakeet a relatively inoffensive Emily Latella Emily and a passable Julie Eisenhower. It was a busy night for her, and she was very much present, and she was very different in everything she did. I, uh, I absolutely felt I had to go with Gilda. For me, overall, strong, strong show. Carly Simon's pre-tape brought, brought it down. Musically, Madeline Kahn made up for it, but we wound up with a little bit more music than I would have liked. A little bit of uh, intolerant language, more so than usual on this one. Within the context of the sketch and who was saying it, you can tell it was made to make that character look bad, um, but still it might be a tad jarring today. That being said, I thought everyone was at least performing at their best tonight. thought Khan was great. Definitely could have used more Lorraine, Jane, and uh, Garrett. But that might mean taking something else out that I'm not sure I would have uh, liked to see go. Aykroyd, Belushi, and Gilda I thought were especially strong tonight. The Nixon's final days, the wilderness, comedian fondue for Namibia. Thought everything, uh, save Weekend Update and some of the music, was was pretty darn strong. I gave this one an eight out of ten. Uh, what brings it down for me was Carly Simon's song Chinatown, Madeline Kahn's last song, The Muppets, and Gary Weiss. That sounds like a lot, but what was there for me was uh, was was pretty pretty damn stellar. So uh, eight out of ten—that's a high one for me.
2: I reacted physically to you saying eight out of ten. Way too much music. It was way too much wrong in this episode for me for the things that went right. Weekend Update was garbage. There was song after song after song. There was a lullaby at the end. That weird movie, that Chinatown bit with the the bad Jack Nicholson. There's just way too many flaws uh, for me to overlook. For the good Nixon sketch and the sleepover, which wasn't even, you know, that's not a home run. I like the bounty bit more. Carly Simon bit was just, yeah, it was just kind of there. It wasn't offensive. Well, that first little bit is pretty offensive. Half a chance, I mean, on romance. You know, they used to call the palace the last chance for romance. 4.5 out of 10.
0: Oh, <laughs> that's way lower than I was expecting, Matt. I was going to say 7 out of 10. So I'm, a, I'm closer to Keith. <laughs> um i and i say that because i thought it was fine you know like i watched it i was thinking if i saw that live and somebody asked me how the show was i would probably say yeah it was good and then not really have anything to comment on so yeah i give it a seven out of ten because i thought it was you know good enough but four out of five
1: you said four 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 or four point five okay oh,
0: that's what i meant sorry four point five
1: we have an eight at 4.5 and a 7. That gives us a 6.5 as our average. Puts us a, a little high on our exchange rate of 1.5. The fine folks at the Internet Movie Database gave this a 7.8. That's too much for me, man. This ranks the episode as the third best of the season. Ours, uh, IMDb's third best of the season. And uh, as of July 2021, It's the 63rd best episode of Saturday Night Live up to that point, up to July of
2: this past year. That's High for you, Matt? Yeah, way too high. Like, what do people point to in this episode that was so fucking fantastic? Uh, I think Nixon. A lot of people. And in their list. Sorry, Matt, go ahead. I was just, it was like a one sketch show for me, personally, is all.
0: Yeah, is one sketch really, does that really make it the third best of the season? I mean, and you've watched the rest of the season, so... Does it really? Where does it rank for you?
1: Of the uh, of the 24 episodes, there's still a couple we haven't seen, and one of them ranks higher than this one as a better show. So uh, I'll reserve my judgment on that. But uh, for me, I ranked this is uh, let's see my own ranking. Yeah, I'm ranking this third so far. Its ranking is Matt's got a low middle for Matt
0: for for a first season. Like yeah, okay. Maybe I can see that, but, but if this was meant to be of all of the shows, of all of the episodes that they have, and this still sits at number 63, uh-huh. um, yeah, that's, that's just sort of surprising to me.
1: So our next episode, we'll look at season one, episode 20 with, with, uh, host Diane Cannon and musical guests, Leon and Mary Russell. Christine, I know you won't be with us, but, uh, are you excited to not be part of that one or? <laughs> <laughs> <Poof>. <laughs> Matt, uh,
2: any excitement over Diane Cannon, Leon, or Mary Russell? None, zero excitement. But <laughs> always optimistic. There are so many levels of S in Hell. Emily Latella <laughs> is her own. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Gary Weiss is getting down there too. Uh, Jesus, he's starting. <laughs> Christine, this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us and, and the work you put in. And uh, it was great to have your opinions. You're actually our first, our first female guest host. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. It was, it was, um, it was really great to have an excuse to look back at, at, um, you know, that the beginnings of SNL that's become so iconic over the years. So yeah, it's great. Sure.
1: And hopefully we can have you back. So we'll uh, we'll definitely be in touch. So we'll be back in about a week with episode 20. But until then, we'll be pre-recording our live reactions to a 50-year-old variety show here in Essen Hell.